Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We'll be starting in verse 5. I'll probably just start reading uh, and just start at the beginning of chapter 6. Reading in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he who is dead is free from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more, death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. That he, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto, the sin, unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So last, <clears throat> we backtrack a little bit. In chapter 5, we saw at the end of chapter 5, we began to see the sin nature. Uh, and I gave you a handout that shows that it really in Romans chapter 6, when you see the word sin, you can plug in these, the sin nature and it, it kind of clears up the meaning and you kind of understand Romans chapter 6 better. Uh, then it, then it showed, the question was posed to Paul basically, do we just continue in a sinful lifestyle that grace may abound? And Paul says no. And then he answered, he said, how shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? So then he, he's basically... Paul brings up, uh, brings up or brings out that, that how can we live dominated by the sin nature if we're dead to the sin nature? And then he goes to show how that happened, how we became dead to the sin nature. And we talked about that last class in verses 3 and 4. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. The word baptism was used. Be, uh, as a, as a, as a, the word that best describes basically what took place that God actually placed us into Christ just like in water baptism you're placed into the water mm -hmm. totally submerged into the water that is the perfect uh, picture basically of what God does to the, the believing sinner he totally places them into Christ just like the person being water baptized is placed by the minister completely under the water. It's a good reason why sprinkling is not really baptism. Because the whole idea is submersion. Because it's not it's not the the right of baptism that is the it, that's the major like well, we need that. It's repentance. And then baptism into Christ. So if you make it all if if you make it all about the right itself, though, just baptism, then you're just going to get off track. Off track. We talked about how it's not water baptism; it's baptism into Christ. And then it says that for those of us that were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death. So we begin to see. We be, Paul basically painting a picture. It kind of. Bringing all the pieces together that you shouldn't be living dominated by the sin nature as though you, nothing different has happened in your life. Because don't you know that you have been baptized into Christ, that you're dead to the sin nature, you're dead to the old man, the old way of living, the old lifestyle, the old you. You're dead to that through baptism into Christ, through death with Christ, that when Christ died... You died, and that is how you became separated. The power of the sin nature, the dominion of the sin nature over you has been broken. 
I mean, just to make sure that to clarify, remember uh, Romans chapter five, it talked about the sin nature reigning like a king yeah. on the throne. So that, that the sin nature reigning like that has been broken through your death with Christ at Calvary. There's more that happened at Calvary than just the shed blood of the lamb that paid your sin debt. <laughs> and that's why it's vitally important that we really understand the cross and what all took place. If we don't, then we go we're, we're, through the rest of our Christian life. We're going half, half cocked, basically. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you don't, we don't fully understand. So we live in, we live in partial benefits of Calvary. So we live with the benefit of salvation, of justification by faith. We live with that. We live that our, our sins are washed away. But yet when it comes to our daily walk, living for God, we're totally lost. So the only other place that we turn is law. Because we, we want to live a sanctified life. We, want, we don't want to sin any longer. We hate sin now. Remember, you have a new nature. You've been given the divine nature. Before salvation, your whole life was just sin. You just chased sin. You fulfilled sin. You had an urge to sin. You fulfilled it. Once you got saved, you didn't. You no longer had that uh, natural lean towards committing sin. Now you love God. Before you didn't love God, now you love God. Totally different. You got a new nature. You are given the divine nature. We brought that out last time. And you can see that in 2 Peter. I think it's 2 Peter. One of the people. First or second Peter. <laughs> it talks about a new a new nature. And we have the very we have really it's the divine nature, but it's God in us. It's Christ in us. That we, we receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of each one of us. Thank the Lord for that. And the fact that the fact that you can have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you is proof and evidence that what Jesus did at Calvary was enough because the Holy Spirit cannot dwell where sin is. So in order for you to be able to have the Spirit of God living and dwelling on the inside of you, what does that mean? That means that you have to be clean. Mm -hmm. If you're unclean, the Spirit of God cannot live on the inside of you. It's evidence to that justification by faith is not made up. It's the real deal. That when God sees you, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees perfection is really what God sees when he looks at you. Because you're in Christ. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. Even though we all know, hey, they got a lot. I got a lot of funk going on up in here. <laughs> Nobody else might know, but I know that they got a lot. There's there's a whole lot of tanner still left to be changed, still left to be removed and dealt with. But it's behind the veil of Christ. The sanctification process is done behind the veil of Christ. Because remember, you're in him. You are baptized into Christ. In the, in, in Louisiana water, if, if you if you were to be baptized, totally submerged in the water here, you wouldn't be able to see the person under the water. You could only see the water. That's what it's like, baptism into Christ. You're placed into Christ. That when God sees you, he doesn't see you, he sees Christ. I, when I taught, I, I got a chance to preach at Salvation Station while I was in Baton Rouge. And uh, the, I talked about baptism into Christ and the way that the Lord, definitely the Lord gave this to me uh, to show and to give a picture basically for the kids to understand it is when you go to the store and you're going to buy a candy bar. You only know what's in that wrapper based off of what the wrapper says. If you're going to buy an I love Almond Joy, buy Almond Joy. When I buy that candy, the wrapper says almond joy, and then it tells me what's in, it tells me what it is. Coconut, almond, and then, thank God, chocolate. <laughs> chocolate. But 
The, I know what's in the wrapper because of the wrapper. Just like that wrapper, if that wrapper let, would bring, the wrapper is a type of Christ, and we are the type of the candy bar. That when you look at the candy bar, you don't see the candy bar itself, you see the wrapper. And that's how you know what it is. When God looks at you, He doesn't see you, He sees the wrapper, which is Jesus. That's why the Spirit of God can dwell on the inside of us. Because when God looks at us, He sees perfection. And the Holy Spirit can dwell there. So we get a new nature. And because of that, the, the, the relationship to the old nature has been broken. So the sin nature has been broken. That's what we saw uh, on page two. That's what we saw uh, baptism into Christ, and it says we're baptized into his death. So now um, that kind of brings the picture of baptism into Christ, what we're really talking about, being placed into him, basically. And then baptism with that, we were baptized into his death. So now that takes us to the cross. So we're now, okay, now I understand that I'm placed into Christ. And now it says, that you were baptized into his death. Okay, well, I, I was I was in Christ. Christ went to the cross. So when Christ was crucified, I was crucified because I was I'm in him. And we're hidden in him. I'm hidden in Christ. And then verse four. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. So okay. If I, if I was, if I'm in Christ, Christ went to the cross and was crucified, and I was in Christ the whole time, then when Christ was crucified, I was crucified. Mm -hmm. Then when Christ was buried, that's what came next. He was buried. When Christ was buried, guess where you were? In him, which means that you were buried mm -hmm. with him. That like as Christ, verse 4 still, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So now that's bang, here we are. Verse 5. Let's get on into this. Okay, verse verse 5. That go ahead. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, the believing sinner died in Christ on the cross and was buried in him as well. The price was totally and completely paid concerning the outstanding debt of sin and sins with simple faith, all that is required on the part of the sinner in order for this standing in Christ to be freely given. So the way that we got this standing in Christ was not doing anything. It was just simply believing. Lord, I believe. Bang, you got it like that. Paul used the word planted, which really the same idea as baptism. So it's not no, no, not really. It's just a different kind of a different way of saying it, but the same same idea. Uh, the next uh, part. We shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. It is impossible to have one speaking of the benefits of Calvary without having the benefits of the other, which is newness of life. It's impossible to have the benefits of Calvary and not have newness of life. To believe in Christ implies association with him in his death and resurrection. If you, if you, if you believe, you say, I have faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary, then that means that you associate, you have association with Christ. Mm -hmm. That's true faith. That's true believing, true faith. It's not just, yeah, I believe. I mean, how many people do we see today, especially today? Oh, yeah, no, I believe Christ. Oh, yeah. I believe Christ is the, the Son of God and He died for my sin. I believe that. I believe that. And with their mouth, with their mouth, they say they believe. But their heart is far from the Lord. And there is zero association with Christ and what He did at Calvary. None at all. It's just, oh, yeah, I believe Christ. And then they just live their life. Really, their way, the way that they want. That's what they're told. Yeah, well, well. That's what keeps them coming back to church. Right, right. They need to be told that that's not the truth. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're never presented with the truth. It's just, uh, and I guess part of it, not possibly that you might be able to elaborate on this. I think part of it is the fact that we just, we don't, we don't, we don't want anyone to be pushed away by the, by the, the hardness of the truth sometimes. Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth is uncomfortable and it's most of the time very uncomfortable to the flesh. When I was a child, I was terrified because they didn't know nothing back. They preached what was in the Bible. Right. And so now I'm offended when I hear Joel Osteen or somebody else trying to cover all that up and right. erase the blood of God. Right, yeah. Exactly. I don't get it. Right. And uh, do you have anything to more about, I mean, you know, you, uh, anything more about, you know, just how that's kind of transpired and that we just kind of, the most likely we don't want He's well, what happened is, is we got uh, church, uh, the, the church uh, world went into the church growth mode. How do we grow our churches? And so it, the, the, the shift came from, went from conversion, evangelism, bringing them to Christ, to actual born again experience into Christ. To how do we get them in church? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that 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 really changed a lot of thinking. And so church growth happened, but a lot of people that were in church, even though they were under the banner of Christian, were never truly saved. saved. Yeah. yeah, never really came to a knowledge of Christ and a revelation of Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't think of his name, Billy Graham. He, he preached on the Bible. Absolutely. And he had the people coming. Absolutely. In droves. Absolutely. Why can't that happen now? Well, it can. It's kind of it should. There's no morals in the world. We try to be more like the world. Yeah. I'm a dress and I'm going to go out and holes in all my jeans and things hanging out that should be. Yeah, we've gotten, we've gotten so far off of uh, the gospel. You know, we, we, hey, I've got holy jeans talking. We just, <laughs> <laughs> my work, my, my work jeans were like that and gone through a boy. <laughs> the, uh, we've, we've gotten so far away from the gospel, the power of the gospel, which is the cross, because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want someone to get their feelings hurt. And then if we just, if we could just get them into church, then maybe they'll accept. That's not, that's, I'm sorry. That's not what the scripture says. But you knew God was there. When all that was going on, you knew God was there because He showed up every week. Yes. Yeah. If you if you preach if you preach script if, if you preach the truth and you know, don't worry about what the people's response is. You That's just right. present what God gives That's you, right. and He'll take care of the rest. Amen. There is always a response. When the gospel, when the true gospel is preached, there is always going to be a response, either a softening and acceptance or a hardening and a rejection. Yeah. So, but we got, we got so afraid of, a, of the hardening and rejection yeah. that, well, okay, we can't do that because then they won't even, then they won't even come to church and then there's no chance for them. Uh, there's a very, I'm sorry, last time I saw in scripture, if someone was running from the Lord, he'll just show up and knock you off of your horse. Yeah. <laughs> So if I preach it and you reject it and then you go farther into sin because that's going to be the result as we've already seen in Romans, then if if eventually you will turn and say yes, we just sped up the process. Yes. Now it won't look good to most people. It won't look good because I present the truth. You reject it at that at that moment and then you go deeper into sin. So it's like, oh, they're worse off now than they were. But the saving grace is that you can be saved. Yeah. But eventually, it pushes. That's the whole idea of God. Yeah. You just push you further into sin. And with it, like, oh no, God would never do that. Oh, you should read Romans. Yeah. You should read Romans because if it means that He lets you go further into sin in order that that you see the fruit and the destruction of it, and then you turn in repentance, yes. why did He die? Then that's the greatest. He did his job. That's mercy, and a lot of times God's mercy and grace doesn't look like it does. Because, well, to be honest, to us, to us, love is just that. Yeah. But not to God.
anytime somebody talked about trials and, you know, suffering, when it came to the Lord, I was like, I felt him in my heart would drop to the floor and everything. And uh, to be honest, there was plenty of times I was like, the heck no, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want any of that. But when I went to Bible college, uh, they didn't hold back and they weren't afraid to tell me what was coming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, at that moment, did my heart sunk to the floor and I was freaking out. On the inside, I was freaking out. But I'm so thankful that those men of God, that they, didn't, they didn't soften anything or not tell me something that was the truth. This is what's going to happen. But I'm telling you, when I, as a child, I was frightened. And now I'm thankful that I went through that because... It was the truth. Yeah. Yeah. The truth doesn't always not always gonna feel good, so but it's the truth. Yeah. Because they, they always give us the truth. And I'm think, like I said, those ministers of Bible college, man, they they said some hard things that did not sit well with me at times. And I, look back, I look back now and I'm like, yeah, praise God. Yeah, yeah. Because exactly what that meant, exactly what he said, that's what happened. What happened on the other side was the greatest thing ever. There you go. <laughs> so, like, and it's for God. The last thing. Yeah, it's at one hundred percent. I mean, it's just it's worth it. It's worth it. It's it's not that it's easy, nope. but it's worth it. Every every step is worth it in the end. And uh, that's if you if you were to come and you were to sit in one of the youth services that we have, you would find out real quick that I'm just not. Sarah can testify to this. I'm not. I'm not. It's not a different gospel just because they're younger. No. I'm going to present the same gospel that I would right here in this class. Mm -hmm. And those kids, sometimes you can't tell they give you this blank stare, <laughs> but. They, they they love it. They don't. They, a lot of times we treat we treat youth age and little kids as just like, well, you know what? You can't. I'm sorry. We act like we uh, we act like that they can't get it. <laughs> the truth is, you didn't get it without the Spirit of God revealing it to you. That's right. But yet we as adults, just be honest, we as adults sometimes, or the kid, they just can't understand that. You couldn't understand it if God didn't reveal it to you. Right. The same God who is able to reveal it to you is the same God that will reveal it to them. That's right. No matter the age. It's like with the, we're trying to read the Bible and you're not saying, you don't know about the Holy Spirit, you don't understand what's going on. Yeah. That'd be very confusing, and you if you read the Old Testament, you would freak out. <laughs> I think it's a good thing. That's okay. The Old Testament, I didn't understand it. I just thought it was stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. And people were talking about it.
hey, just believe, all right. You know, it's, mm-hmm. and it's not always easier. Like I, sh- I shouldn't say that, but uh, I actually do find that their faith is just so pure. That's why I said it's faith like a child, because they're in jail right. by the world. What you did is so important. But my second thing was that the Old Testament, it all points to Christ. And everything after Christ points back to Christ. It's all about the sacrifice. And we have a couple books. One's called The Sacrifice. And um, that I encourage y'all to read that because that will change your whole view on everything in the temple, everything um, that is it's pretty much all like symbolic of Christ, of God saying, here's the sacrifice <coughs> that you should do until Christ comes because he was the ultimate sacrifice. But So then it makes me, you can read Hebrews and still rejoice because you're like, man, it's still about Jesus. You might be the only information they have ever. The the if you if you if you're not interpreting the Old Testament, if actually I say the Old any scripture, yeah. if you don't interpret it through the lens of the cross, you will not interpret it correctly. Yeah. That's we got so many different interpretations of scripture. Most of it's not even through the lens of the cross. Yeah. Brother Bob said this while I was in Bible college. He he talked about the uh, the I say hyper faith. Uh, just called the greed gospel, the money cometh yeah. gospel, all these different things. And one of the ministers in that movement said that he could see money in every scripture. Mm-hmm. And Brother Bob was like, I think Brother Bob said he was having his own personal <laughs> prayer time, and he was just like, "What an idiot!" Like, how, <laughs> he's like, "How could you? How, how could he say that?" That's just you know blasphemy. You know, he's just. And the, he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, uh, well, it's actually not, it's not that far off. Not in the sense that you can see, he said, he said, you got to think of it like this. Whatever lens you're looking through, you'll see the scripture interpreted that way. Yeah. So then Brother Bob was like, okay, wait a minute. So he went to scripture and he read with the lens of money, if that makes sense. Yeah. And he, yeah, guess what he said? He said, I found it, money in every scripture. <laughs> My object of faith was money. Yes. So every scripture, the way he interpreted scripture was money. Yes, well, praise God, money. And then that's when he was like, oh, now I get it. Because we preach the cross as the object of faith. Christ and the cross as the object of your faith. If that's the lens that you have on your reading spectacles if that's what you have on is that Christ and what he did at Calvary when you read scripture that is how you will interpret it and you will get the correct interpretation so when you read the Old Testament you will see it through the lens of Calvary and it will come alive a a good example is in the book of Esther I studied the book of Esther and I had to write paper because that's what they make you do in college and the the um the in the book of esther the there are the laws of the medes and the persians the medes and the persians were they were in as world power at the time and the king i believe was artaxerxes he might have a different name but there was uh and then so we it, you know in the book of esther <laughs> You have the king of the Medes and the Persians, which is, I believe it was Artaxerxes. Yes. And then you have, obviously, Esther. And then, so this whole story plays out. Well, Haman, who was a bad and evil guy, <laughs> he set out to kill the Jews. All of the Jews, basically. And he, you know, had his way and got a law enacted that... Basically, he said that the Jews were causing so many problems. He didn't name them as Jews. He just said that certain people causing so many problems. It would be better if they were all just gone. And Artaxerxes, in a just an instant decision, boom, said, oh, pass that law. That on such and such, on such and such a day, all of those people, we can kill them. Well, the people were the Jews. Well, Esther was his queen, who he did not know was a Jew. So the way that the laws for the Medes and the Persians worked, 
was that once the law was sealed and enacted, it could not be undone. You could not, he, the king could not simply say, okay, we're going to erase that, that law off of the books. Couldn't do it. Once it's been enacted, it's enacted for life. You could never erase it. Later on, he finds out about the evil plan and plot by Haman. And then what he does is he enacts another law that says that the Jews could defend themselves on such and such a day. Okay, now, read that story, you know, before, hey, great. Through the lens of the cross, I saw the, the laws of the Medes and the Persians as the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and the law of sin and death. Spiritual laws by God. When God enacted a spiritual law, he could not simply erase it. When the law of sin and death entered into humanity, God could not simply erase that law. So what did he do? He created another law. And the other law gave us the ability to win. Amen. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Same idea. Without the lens of the cross, who cares? It's just the law of the Medes and the Persians. Whatever, okay? The people, they're not even world powers anymore. What does it even matter? It's just a story. Okay, cool. The U.S. Artaxerxes. Okay, wow, great. Through the lens of the cross. Oh, hello. This story just came to... There is power in this now. If you have the lens of the cross, when you read scripture, when you study, when you interpret it, oh my Lord, get ready. You're going to see things you never saw before. And you'll just be like, oh my goodness, why am I part of, I'll be honest, part of it, you're going to feel like a dummy. Because you're going to see stuff that you're like, I don't know. That's okay, because you better not see it. Oh, I'm what? Tell me I'm dumb, Lord. Show me. <laughs> okay, let's get back to, uh, let's get back to this. Uh, this, the part that we're looking at is we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul used the word if, but it is the if of a fulfilled condition. In effect, Paul is saying, in view of the fact, or since such and such a thing is so, uh, and then uh, have been planted together in the Greek text speaks of a living, vital union of two individuals growing up together. The same word could be used of Siamese twins whose bodies were connected at one point and whose bloodstream flowed through two physical bodies as it does normally through one. This is the best way to explain our union with Christ. God places the believing sinner into Christ at the cross to share his death and resurrection. We are, our union with Christ is so closely knit together that it's like Siamese twins. That's how joined together we are with Christ. It's not just a light, it's not just a light thing. Okay, it's not, it's not like, okay, me and Sarah, we, we're just walking together and we're joined together. And no, 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 no. Siamese twins, they're born literally connected. Same bloodstream, giving life to both bodies. Same, same, that's the whole idea with the union with Christ. Glory. Same, the same thing that provides life for Christ is the same thing that provides life for you now. Glory. Thank you, Jesus. In, in the tabernacle, in the speaking of looking at things through the lens of Calvary, <laughs> through the lens of the cross, in the tabernacle, there was the menorah, the lampstand. And it was made of a solid piece of gold. They were not welded on, bolted on. It was one solid piece of gold. There were seven. One right in the middle. And then three on each side. That one right in the middle is a type of Christ. And those three on the side can be types of the believer in Christ. They were not, they were not welded on. They were made as one piece. That's the union we have in Christ. We one piece, baby. Hey, me and Christ. I'm in him. Brother Larson and Bible God used to say, if you did this, stuck out elbows, you'd be hitting ribs. You are in him, in Jesus. Mm. 
That word likeness in the Greek, you see it on your thing, not even try to say that. That was totally destroyed. Uh, it means a likeness or resemblance which amounts almost to the same identity, even as close as Siamese twins. The believing sinner and the Lord Jesus were united in a death at Calvary. His death, a vicarious one that had to do with the salvation of the believing sinner from the guilt, penalty, and power of sin. Uh, that phrase, we shall be, is not that of a predictive future so far as time is concerned, but that of a logical future. Paul says in his Greek, for in view of the fact that we have become those permanently united with him with respect to the likeness of his death, certainly also as a logical result, we shall become those who have become permanently united with him with respect to the likeness of his resurrection. If you are in Christ and his death becomes your death, his burial becomes your burial. That is just logical thinking that says that his resurrection becomes my resurrection. Paul is writing in the context of sanctification as it speaks of our walk before the Lord now and not glorification. The saint in his new condition orders his behavior in the power of a new life imparted namely the resurrection life of our Lord. As a result of the believer having become united with Christ in his death, the power of the sinful nature is broken. Verses 6 and 7 shows us this. So it's not, it's not talking about glorification because remember the whole, the whole context of Romans 6 is freedom from the sin nature. Now, yes, in glorification, we will be free from the sin nature. The presence of the sin nature will be removed from us. But the, the context, what we're talking about now is sanctification. That is our daily walk before the Lord. That happens in between justification and glorification. So the idea of resurrection life here is not glorification, but a new living, you're living a new life. Mm-hmm. Not the old life dominated by the sin nature. Okay, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Refers to that person the believer was before he was saved. Totally depraved, unregenerate, lacking the life of God. That word man in the Greek is on your paper. <laughs> And it is a generic term which is used for a male at times, but also has the idea in it of mankind in general, and therefore includes both men and women, uh, refers to an individual man or woman. That word old, as you can also see on your handout, it means old in the point of use. It describes something that is worn out, useless, Fit to be put on the scrap pile to be discarded. That sounds perfectly like the old man. <laughs> it describes perfectly the old man, which pertains to what we were before we were saved, thereby brought to Christ. Uh, next. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Body in the Greek is soma, I believe. It literally means the human body. Real hard definition there. <clears throat> Sin, as it is used here, speaks of that monster possessing the human body at least before salvation. The reference is, therefore, to the believer's physical body before salvation, possessed by, dominated, and controlled by the sinful nature. That's why everything that we did before we got saved was sin, and we just carried it out through our members. Our hands, our feet, our mouth, our eyes, you know. The person the believer was before he was saved was crucified with Christ in order that his physical body, which before salvation was dominated by the evil nature, might be spiritually destroyed. That is, destroying the power of sin in the physical body. The word destroyed is on your handout. 
And it means to render idle, inactive, inoperative, to cause, to cease. Next part. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Contains the following idea. Knowing this, that our old man, that person we were before we were saved, was crucified with him in order that our physical body, which at that time was dominated by the sinful nature, might be rendered inoperative in that respect, namely that of being controlled by the sinful nature, in order that no longer are we rendering a slave's habitual obedience to the sinful nature. The believer has been set free from that bondage. So, before I got saved, the desire for alcohol would come, and I would obey it. Because it was my, I was in slavery to the sin nature. So it would come, and I would obey it like a slave obeys its master. Can't say, there is no saying no. If you're a slave, and your master says, do this, there is no saying no. You do it. You're a slave. We were like that to the sin nature, a slave. That's why if somebody would just simply say no to sin, if you're, if you're not sin, you're a slave. You would, if you, we, if none of us were in slavery, but if we were, you know, and, and, and as far as humans, I mean, you know, not spiritually, physically, you're not saying no. Do this, you do it. There's no way around it. Pharaoh said, make bricks. The Egyptian, I'm the Egyptian, the Israelites make bricks. Mm -hmm. Slavery. That's what it was like with the sin nature. Slavery. Drink. Gonna drink. But now, because of what Christ has done in my union with Him. Now when the desire to drink comes. Because it didn't say that it won't come. Now when the desire comes. I know what's taking place in Christ. Well the desire comes. I don't freak out. <laughs> I don't freak out and think. Oh my gosh I'm not saved. I have this desire. Uh, I'm just... A, just a temptation is not sin. Christ was tempted by Satan three times. He was tempted. Just because he was tempted didn't mean that he sinned. If he entered into it, then it's sin. We entered in. And didn't need much, didn't need much encouragement to enter in either. He just right on in. But because of what Christ has done, now when the temptation to such and such, whatever, you plug in whatever you need to plug in, that when the temptation to come and do blah, blah, blah comes, I know what has been done in Christ. You know what? It might, the temptation might come, but in Christ, I am free from that I don't have to yield a slave's obedience to that any longer. Just because the temptation comes does not mean you have sinned. Sure. Temptation comes and you stand by faith in what you have in Christ Jesus. No, I don't have to. I, no, no, I say yes to Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. That's the old man. And I'm not a slave to that any longer. Whatever it, you plug in whatever it is that you need to plug out my things that I need to plug in. And I'm not telling you about it. That's between me and the Lord. You plug in what you need to plug in and we'll leave it at that. We all have something. If you don't have something, then congratulations, you've made it to the end of sanctification. But I know that you, none of us have, so I know that you have something. And it's between you and the Lord because it's all done behind the veil of Christ. Thank God that you can't see what's in it. You can't see me, my stuff. I can't see yours. Thank the Lord for that. It's between you and the Lord. He knows, you know, plug it in and know that through your union with Christ that you, the old man, was crucified in him. When he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he was resurrected, you were resurrected. But what about when the temptation comes? When he died, you died. When he was buried, you buried. 
When he was raised, you were raised. But the temptation keeps coming, and it just keeps coming, and it keeps coming. And once in a while I fail, get up. If we, if we, if we ask, First uh, John, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Get up and walk again by faith. Get up and walk again by faith. It doesn't matter. It's not so much how many times you fall down as long as you get up every time. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, the temptation came. And to be honest, Lord, it destroys my pride to admit this, but I didn't operate in faith. And when I say faith, I don't mean just I believe. No, I didn't operate in the faith. That I'm crucified with Christ. Mm -hmm. Slam your pride down. Mm -hmm. But you're never as mature as you think you are. Well, I know, oh no, I know the cross. Praise God. And then the white temptation comes in. For whatever reason, we don't apply it. We, then we don't even apply it in that moment. And then we fail. Oh, Lord. I'm saying. Forgive me, Lord. And then we get up, and then the temptation comes again, and we, we don't even apply the cross. What the Lord's trying to show you in that is that your faith is not what it should be. It's not as mature as you think it is. But He's ready to build you. And we just learn, we just learn, we just learn how to walk in what we have. Learn how to walk in the victory that's already been given. Not, not, not win the victory. Learn how to walk in the victory you already have. He's already given it to you. You've been crucified with Christ. Buried with Him. Raised with Him. The temptation comes. Remember that. If you fail, get up. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. He's faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Remember, you're justified by faith. You're in Him. God looks at you even in the moment you were falling. When God looked at you, he saw Jesus. He didn't see you. Amen. So you can get up. Lord, forgive me. I blew it. That's right. I blew it, Lord. Please forgive me. Lord, I need the cleanse. I need the blood. Cleanse me. And at that moment, you know what the best part is about I say about failing. There's not really the best part, but <laughs> When you fail, you know, it's just beautiful to me how God has set it up. The only place to find cleansing and forgiveness is the cross. So you blow it. And the first place that you have to go with your faith is the place that you should have been. And he brings you right back to the place that you should always be and never leave with your faith. Thank God for his wisdom. Oh boy, he set that up in wisdom. Amen. Yes, he did. Holy uh, God. Verse 7. For he who is dead, not speaking of physical death, as we all know, <laughs> but rather to the historic fact of a believing sinner being identified with Christ in his death on the cross. Is dead in the Greek text has reference to a past action, which in effect is a once for all action. Thus we have the one who died off once for all. That is off from the evil nature. This being a separation from that nature. Uh, the next part. Is freed from sin. Presents the believer as being cut loose from the sin nature. The word free in your uh, handout, you can see it. And it means to justify, to declare righteous, to render or make righteous, acquit of a charge, to absolve. It is a term having to do with the law. And the courts of law. Consequently, it deals with the doctrine of justification, which is a legal term. However, in this instance, Paul is not dealing with justification, but rather with the doctrine of sanctification. Therefore, the idea of being set free, growing out of the idea that a justified person is set free from the penalty of the law, is what's being used here. The one... Paul says, who died off once and for all from the sinful nature has been set free completely from it with the, with the permanent freedom from it. With, yeah, with the permanent freedom. Permanent in the sense that God has set him free permanently from it 
And it is his responsibility to maintain that freedom from it moment by moment. God has done everything that we need. The fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture will you see anything that says, that tells us to fight sin. Nowhere. Nowhere does it tell the believer the, the, to, to fight sin. It does not say that anywhere. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight to believe. Fight the fight of the faith. And it's a good fight. Because it's <laughs> It's a good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight to believe that what Christ has done is enough. Keep believing. Keep believing. Keep believing. Even if you don't see it right away. Keep believing. What, what, what happens a lot of times, a lot of times, is just like the Israelites in Egypt. The Lord told Egypt, uh, told Pharaoh many, many times, let my people go. But yet he did not let them go. And it didn't mean that the Lord didn't say, let my people go. Right. A lot of times we apply the cross by faith. And we just be honest. We, we apply the cross by faith. And it's as if God's saying, let my people go. But yet we don't see right away. Freedom from such and such bondage. Whatever it is. You have to make it personal for your life. But we believe. Right. But yet. It's not right away. And then. Obviously in the story. There were ten plagues. The tenth one was the, the lamb. And the firstborn dying. And that was what. Was Pharaoh finally let them go. Well, that what a perfect picture that the, that Calvary is what finally broke the bondage. Finally broke the bondage, and we were let go. And then we're on our way out, and guess who is chasing us down? Bondage. What once had us in bondage, we now had freedom because of the shed blood of the Lamb. And here it is, chasing me down. But I have placed my faith in the cross. Why is this not? I should be dancing through tulip field right now. But a lot of times, that's what will happen. It will chase you down. The enemy is not just going to throw his hands up and be like, well, they've started to believe in the cross. What am I going to do now? Mm -mm. Makes no difference to him. He's going to keep fighting. The biggest news, though, is that thank the Lord that he is Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah, my banner. Yes. I can rally to that bloodstained banner. Calvary's cross. I can rally there to know that the victory has been won. Even... Even if the enemy chases me down, even if the bondage chases me down, I can rally to the cross where the victory has been won. And then the best part in Scripture is that they had to go through the Red Sea. So then they go through the Red Sea and then the Red Sea comes down. But Paul describes it as a type of baptism into Moses. That the Red Sea was a type of baptism into Moses. So Moses, if Moses was a type of Christ, which he was, then it's a type of baptism into Christ. So even when the bondage comes to chase you down, Jehovah Nisi, just you just rally to that blood-stained banner, and then it's through baptism into Christ that it's finally... Amen. He said, he called this, this day, the Egyptians you will see no more. Glory. 
through baptism into Christ, that day, no more. No, you will see these Egyptians no more. Thus saith the Lord. That's the best part about it. Thus saith the Lord. Through baptism into Christ. My Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you see. Calvary is a lot more than just paying my sin debt. Thank the Lord for that. But we'll see this a little bit later on. But it's the double cure. Yes. Safe from wrath and made me pure. Amen. Hmm. Amen. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. You know, Tanner, I was thinking as you were talking about that, that the moment that he declared, the Lord declared, let my people go. It was a done deal. It was a done deal. It was a done deal. Pharaoh thought he had control, but he didn't. Sometimes in our life, it seems like sin has control, or the enemy has control. But as soon as the Lord declared us righteous, it's his declaration that matters. When we're in control, it's when it gets bad. We should let him do it. Right. He already has a plan. Uh, the believer in Christ, trusting in what he did at Calvary and the resurrection, is now dead to the monster of the sin nature. However, that does not mean that sin or the sin nature is dead, with both continuing to be very much alive and just as much in existence as ever. And yet, to the believer, sin or the sin nature need not be any problem whatsoever. Providing he continues to have faith moment by moment and faith in the right thing, namely Christ. The sin nature is not, it's, it's, it's still very much there. Sin is still very much there, but we're dead to it. Yeah. 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 So if we're dead, the, the relationship has been broken, severed. When the temptation comes calling, I don't have to answer. That's right. I'm not a slave to the sin nature anymore. At one, at one time I was. But today, no bueno. <laughs> thus Paul has answered in, in uh, thus Paul has answered his hearer's question again. Namely, that the believing sinner's death with Christ has disengaged that person from any connection with his indwelling sinful nature. Result, resulting in that person's body being rendered inoperative so far as any control which the evil nature might exercise over it is concerned. Verse 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, proclaims the results of this spiritual operation, if, the word if would have been better translated since, it should read, now, since we be or are dead with Christ, it is settled. It is, that is settled. It's done. Uh, the next part. We believe that we shall also live with him. Since the results of the surgical operation, spiritually speaking, of being freed from sin, there was a purpose behind the believer dying with Christ on Calvary and being buried with him. Had it stopped there, the work would have only been half done. The purpose is not only to free one from sin with the debt justly paid, even though that is an absolute necessity, but the end result of the new, the new life in Christ to which the Spirit is pointing. We are, we are simply to believe that not, that not only were our sins handled at Calvary, but as well, the resurrection of Christ guaranteed our victorious walk over and above the dominion of sin. It does not mean sinless perfection. It does mean, though, that the believer is now free from sin's dominion. Sin doesn't dominate us. We're not a slave to sin. It doesn't mean that you won't fail. We, we're going to fail. We're weak, frail. We're just... We're going to fail. But there's a difference between failing and being dominated by sin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that phrase, with him, 
is a personal pronoun and means that we live with respect to him. The believer's new life imparted to him at the moment of believing is life derived from Christ. We live by means of him. Paul is not speaking here of the believer's fellowship with Christ here or in eternity. He is speaking of what Christ did for us and our appropriation of that great victory within our hearts and lives. That is the end.